Real Finance with J-Dub is brought to you by Little Woods Capital Advisors, LLC. Little Woods, humble beginnings, big results. Hello and welcome to Real Finance with J-Dub. I'm your host, Shauna Wilder, and today we are going to be discussing the new post-pandemic landscape. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Hi. Sounds like a pertinent subject. I know. I can't believe it's been a little over a year and a half since we did the last one. Yeah, way too long. I know, but it sounds like eons. It feels like eons ago that we did it, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Everything's different now. Just being out in public again feels strange. Good. Good, but strange. Like, it's not a going back to normal. It's it's, It feels like a totally different thing now. Yeah. You know? People are more edgy still. I think so. And that's that's hard to get around. (laughs) There's been a lot that's happened outside of just, um, you know, viruses and and contagion and herd immunity and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's been a lot of sociopolitical changes. There's been a lot of kind of upheaval of different markets. Like, uh, it's just it's a lot to keep up with. Yeah, it's it's taken particularly in the policy area. It's it's kind of taken everything and flipped it on its head. Yeah, you know, and and people are just trying to even uh, the smartest. Men and women are having difficulty sorting it out, you know. Absolutely. We're seeing that with the with the whole Facebook, you know, situation. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that is such a crazy thing to watch. Yeah. Like as it's unfolding. Oof, man. Well, first, before we jump into this, uh, you said that you wanted to kind of call out a couple of special notices. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You and I are uh, our donors, sponsor, co-sponsors of the uh, annual Ann Richards Dinner, which mm-hmm. – we're always proud of and they're they're very supportive of us yeah. so we want to give a shout out to the you know our fellow donors and volunteers that are putting that on it's a masquerade ball this year i can't wait i know that's it's <laughs> gonna be a lot of fun the whole s- sit and listen speaker thing yeah yeah no that's kind of done it's yeah uh, although i am looking forward to the speaker though i mean but everything else sounds amazing yeah. it's not just you know a hotel dinner and you're just my knees are numb below the waist now kind of thing so yeah there'll be a lot more activity yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's really cool and also <laughs> uh I mean, I'm from New Orleans, so we don't really need another excuse to wear a mask. But, hey, nope. uh, you know, we're pretty practicing that. Speaking of, I want to shout out to the, our friends and loved ones uh, in South Louisiana who's still kind of picking up the pieces right yeah. now. So yeah. our thoughts are with you. Absolutely. Sure. So, Gosh, so tough. Again, again, just adds to the overall what the heck is happening feeling, like kind of day in, day out. Yeah. What, if it's not more one th- thing, it's another. Yeah, more than one <laughs> shoe is going to drop yeah. here. So. Yeah. It already has. That's a lot. Okay. What should we start off with first? Let's talk about kind of like some of the changes we've seen in this quarantine lockdown kind of phase. Like what has been hitting your radar in terms of the financial sector? Like what do you see as being some of the changes that have just occurred recently? Well, as far as the markets go, um, I think we're starting to see there's definitely more concern about inflation um, that being just the price of things sure. accelerating, going back up. Because we, we've had a good 20, 10, 20 years where we really haven't seen much movement there. Right. And there are a lot of uh, forces and reasons why that's been happening, and we can kind of get to that later. But um, in the near term, I, I think a lot of people are paying attention to what the government's going to do as far as, or I should say the Federal Reserve more specifically, You know, are they going to raise interest rates? Um, they've already uh, – put a halt on buying back uh, U.S. government debt, which, you know, for those who aren't familiar with that, and even I have trouble with that subject, it's a behemoth. But basically it's, it's, it's a way for them to uh, 
take some money out of the account. Well, actually put money into the economy because they're buying these securities. Okay. And it's a, just like another way to deliver cash. But it goes directly to the largest financial institutions okay. in the country. Kind of has a trickle-down effect. But um, And we're also starting to see you know, the, the real estate boom, you know, both in purchases, sales, refinances. That's starting to taper off a little bit, even though interest rates haven't really had much impact on that part. True. I think that's kind of cycled through the population at large, but, uh, you know, luckily for me, it hasn't been completely <laughs> killed off yet. Sure, sure. So, and then also, um, and that those price movements have created volatility in in the markets. That's felt at every level. Right. So that really hasn't changed much, but you hear um, outside of inflation, you know, supply chain is this new phrase that's entered the zeitgeist and everybody's like, yeah. huh? Yeah. And it's, it's really just an old economic term, but yeah. it's... That's been the main focus of the problems that the pandemic has caused. So, sure. so governments, corporations have had to, to figure out ways to deal with that, and it's still a work in progress. So before we move off to the supply chain question uh, for a second, is there, is there any area that you feel has per- been particularly susceptible to the inflation? Like uh, you mentioned home prices, right? Mm-hmm. But um, any other like sectors of like a certain um, – commodity or anything like that like you've just seen skyrocket triple something like that yeah or is it all kind of across the board yeah it's just across the board oh okay I, I wouldn't um i mean for me probably the most visible uh area where where we've seen a lot of you know price inflation is mm-hmm. is the market is the stock market sure. so i can't tell you how many companies that i've researched and i've had to put on the shelf because the prices of those <laughs> shares are so high right now yeah. It, it it feels reminiscent of like the early 2000s, you mm-hmm. know, right around the internet bubble. It kind of feels the same. Structurally, it's a different problem, but um the market tends to uh feel these things out and then once once we kind of hit a hit like an apex. Yeah. It's it's like a yo-yo. Right. So, uh a lot of people think that we're on the cusp of a another major correction which wouldn't surprise me, mm-hmm. but, uh, and a lot of conversations have kind of centered around that, you know, right. kind of just getting prepared for the worst. Right. I remember seeing a news line that, uh, Wells Fargo shut down, uh, extending individual lines of credit. And someone was commenting saying, this is what happened before the last big crash shut down. Like this is a indicator. Yeah. They're, they're starting to get worried about having too much, too much debt on their, on their books. And that's, that kind of goes back to the financial crisis. Although, um, we seem to have figured out how to make that debt le- less toxic sure. so uh, so that it, it can be managed uh, responsibly. But then, then again, this is Wall Street, so we never know. But So speaking of Wall Street, and you said there's stocks that you've had to shelf because they're just not accessible. Now, for someone that's not like I am, I am not the financial guru that you are. I am the boots on the ground person, right? So for me, I have started to notice there are a lot of companies or apps, whatever you want to call it lately, that are offering uh, fractional buy-ins. Like now, like, oh, you can buy part of an Apple stock for where, whereas before, like one, like would have been, but you can't do that now. You can do it with a, few, a smaller amount of money, is, I guess is what I'm saying. So they're kind of cultivating it that way. No, you're right. And and one of the, the, the memes of the pandemic has been this whole situation with the Robinhood app. Right. And oh. uh, that company was actually, <laughs> yeah, that company was actually created in 2014 by a couple of young Stanford PhDs who, uh, who saw it, okay, we want to make 
we want to make an app, a trading app that's easy to use, it's, uh, accessible, and uh, and it's cheap. Right. So I think there were, you know, there there was a, a point in history. This and now I'm going back to actually they call it May Day, 1975, mm. where Congress, or I should say, the SEC was under pressure to change the brokerage industry. And the way they did that was because because up until that point, the like, say, for example, the New York Stock Exchange had a fixed price that you had to pass on to your trading client for commissions. Right. Finally, the SEC stopped, stepped in and said, no, you guys can't. That's That violates competition. We, we want brokerage firms to be able to charge whatever they want. And, okay. and that's essentially that's what happened. But what happened with the Internet, which kind of started this trend of it's kind of it was kind of like a race to the bottom. Yeah. So companies were starting to price each other out of the out of the market as far as the commissions go. And you saw a lot of a lot of shift from your traditional, you know, uh, Friday martini lunch stockbroker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Red face to I, I literally work with guys like that. <laughs> but um, so we saw this trend toward, uh, you know, the online brokerages bringing the cost down and, and then Robinhood kind of tried to make it cool. Yeah. And uh, one of the companies that I deal with primarily, Fidelity, they've already uh, – they already have no commission trades now, um, and and like you said, uh, they also offer this this whole thing about fractional shares, and that was part of the that was the accessible part sure. for the Robinhood app was they wanted, you know, they knew what they were missing, you mm-hmm. know, college students, younger people, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if they could start buying into their favorite companies and not have to worry about whether they can afford it. See, so. to me, this felt like kind of a reaction to the Bitcoin. Uh, surgeons like because Bitcoin you know to to get in on that seemed very fractional as well and so this seemed like a way to like oh let's get all those Bitcoin people to kind of come back again to well (laughs) (laughs) like no no kids put that down come over here well I think there was a bit of a correlation Mm -hmm. um, because uh, it took a while for people to figure out okay is is crypto something I really want to get involved with right and if so how how do I how do I enter that that realm? Sure. And there there are now a bunch of companies that that have exchanges where you can. I mean, I do it. I I, I have yet to own a single Bitcoin. <laughs> a full, like one yeah. Bit, yeah, one whole. I still have a fraction <laughs> of a Bitcoin. Um, but but the whole the whole idea is they uh, most people were barred from from entering that market because they they were just priced out of it. Sure. So um, so companies like Robinhood and like our friend Tom said, Coinbase, you yeah. know, those are exchanges where it didn't really matter how much money you had, um, you were you were able to get a piece of the of the market or the or the crypto market in this case. So. So speaking of crypto, now how has that changed or fared in this pandemic stage? Well, what changes have happened happened over there? Well, it's I think I think we we've reached the point where it's it's been pretty legitimized. So. Right. Um, governments are already starting to. We've already seen some foreign governments that have decided to to mine it. Um, there are some talks that the U.S., China are going to invent their own uh, virtual currency, um, kind of in line with that. Um, it's still an unregulated market. We haven't figured that out yet. Gotcha. But um, because it's not because cryptocurrency is basically just the prices of those coins are totally dependent on on. On individuals, you know, how do they? Yeah. What do they feel it's worth? Right. So there's there's no underlying value there. It's not like buying a house or buying a share of stock where you you can somewhat approximate what that is worth. And 
crypto crypto is a complete opposite of that i mean the questions i get about you know it's it's become more of like an investing conversation you know not whether or not it's legitimate but now um, how do i work it into how do my, i do it yeah, yeah how to work into my overall portfolio yeah. and i always tell, I always tell people the same thing it's not an investment it's it if but i i do recommend people get involved with it because they should learn how that yeah. that system works sure you know? it's not going away yeah because eventually <laughs> eventually i mean i paid for a haircut with yeah with the uh, you know with litecoin and, and dogecoin you know the doggy one yeah. but um I, so know, the, I know a couple of people that have had it and then put it back and then they're like oh i should have kept it i would have been doing so well right now yeah because they got a little freaked out and then they you know and now that it has a lot more legitimacy they're like oh why did i ever doubt it yeah, and that's but that that's a problem that you have in in any investment market oh, sure. is, is is the timing piece. But I I don't you know my philosophy doesn't isn't dependent on that. I don't try and outsmart the market and try and predict what it's going to do. There's no predicting. You know, it's you could get a dozen economists and ask them where's the Dow going to be a year from now, and you'll get twelve different answers. I promise you. So. And, and I'm guessing that the whole thing that we started hearing about also in the pandemic phase with the EFTs, that's similar to cryptocurrency. The 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 pictures, the, oh, the graphic. NF, the NFTs. NFTs, thank yeah. you. What is EFT? Where the hell did I get that? Yeah. ETF. No, NF- that's <laughs> no. I have it I have those dyslexic moments too. Sure, Don't worry about it. Sure. Um that I'll be honest, that part I haven't figured out yet. It's it's still okay. pretty complicated. But the best that I can observe is uh nft is just an acronym for non-fungible tokens right and and basically because we are creating this virtual world where people are learning to exist for for one of a better word um they can collect uh virtual baseball cards yeah works of art you know yeah. stuff like that and the the prices on these things are, are outrageous but so. see and that's why i say like if feels similar because it's it's what we say the price is basically yeah. like what somebody's willing to pay. it reminds me oddly of the beanie baby thing back when i was a kid when everybody was like oh i've got this princess diana beanie baby and it's worth you know 20 million dollars and i'm like that's a sack of flour like what <laughs> who cares you know yeah same thing but if someone says well it's valued at that amount then it's valued at that amount yes and and uh it's funny you mentioned that because that's that's been another uh result of the pandemic i think is uh these these old childhood uh, investments, shall we say, like oh, comic books, yeah. uh, baseball cards. There's a whole new market for those now. Really? Yeah. I mean, for a oh. while, for a while, people would say, "Well, that stuff is just it's toilet paper. It's fancy <laughs> toilet paper." <laughs> yeah. As far as yeah. what it was worth, and sure. I remember collecting them as a kid when that was kind of it was kind of a it thing, but mm-hmm. it, it it died for a long time, and then the COVID you know, the pandemic woke it up. But but again, all of these. I would call it, call them more collectibles. Mm-hmm. It's it's all predicated on 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 false, you know, promises. I mean, people just don't know, you know, whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. That's yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gonna get for it. That's where we're at. And I mean, if you look at like Bitcoin, for example, you know, it, it just took a guy like Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, to open his mouth and say, "I'm not really sure about you know, I'm not really sure about this because it's not environmentally environmentally." <laughs> <laughs> environmentally sustainable. There you go. And uh, the price sure. of, of Bitcoin, you know, dropped right. like, you know, like dead weight. So yeah. we've seen a lot of fluctuations. And that's why I tell people it's, unless you're willing, it's money you're willing to set on fire. Mm-hmm. I, I would basically stay away from it. Okay. Because those, those momentum swings are it's enough pretty to Pretty temperamental. Yeah, yeah, very. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. All right. 
What else has been? Oh, sorry. What? No, no. I was just going to say there, <laughs> there are actually. I'm seeing more and more uh, traditional investment analysts are actually starting to talk about it in ways like as if it were an investment. You know, when gotcha. we're talking about Bitcoin, Ethereum. You know, which cryptocurrency should you buy now? That kind, those kind of stories are popping up. So, yeah. I'm still, I'm still pretty weary. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll take a look at them to see if there's anything they offer that I can learn about the because each cryptocurrency, the it's there seems to be the differences are in the technology that's behind it. Gotcha. So so <clears throat> the way those networks behave and are constructed is has some something to do with how that that currency may may trade or or even exist. Sure. Now, do we still feel as though real estate is a good investment, if possible? I think, well, yeah, I, I uh, real estate is always going to be an, an, an investment because, like they say, you know. Well, I'm hearing almost, a lot of trends about that as well, and I'm curious to kind of get your take on some of that. Well, I right now it's, as an entry point, it would be tricky. Sure. Because um, I, I think we're, we might be heading up for a bubble there as well. Um, and then another thing is, even though people – have been surprisingly a lot of people have been better off after during the pandemic because of, of the, the massive stimulus that the, sure. that the government brought in. Yeah. Um, it's prices. I mean, home prices have, have almost, and, and the prices of the materials that go into those, home, those oh, yeah. new construction homes are, are, are skyrocketing. And, and even with the, the money that people have stashed away, it's they're they're priced out of that, yeah. that market. So, yeah. Um, although I did read an article uh, yesterday, in fact, that um, there's been a surge in home buying in the Latino community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still it's still pretty far behind, you know, the average. But uh, but from a from a racial standpoint, that's that's been a new trend also, which, which tells us, yeah, it, it is, it's an encouraging sign that um, maybe people are starting to understand the market more. Yeah. And, and and time it better as far as, you know, when they want to get in. So they, they may also have a lot of new programs that are maybe a little bit more accessible at a certain price point or something like that. Like I've I've seen, um, you know, information about uh, getting a house valued at 250000 or lower with zero down mm-hmm. and, you know, just regular credit. Basically, so so whereas somebody you know maybe before thought that classically I had to have a deposit and all this kind of stuff, like maybe now there are new programs that you don't necessarily need that, and it makes kind of an entry into a home ownership a little bit easier for people. Yeah, that's that's been an extension of the stimulus, right. I think, and and plus, and again, um, it changes. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and now we're starting to see a, a lift on the moratorium on uh, on rental yep. properties. So uh, so that's that's part of it too. People are. Are really looking at a house as an investment, particularly with the the Airbnb, you know, side right. hustle craze. So that was going to be the other thing I was going to ask you about. So first of all, I've heard that it's difficult for you lately to buy your own home if you're a first time home buyer. That, like you mentioned, prices are a lot higher. Uh, but then also, I've heard a little bit of scuttlebutt about how um, like large uh, trusts are buying up properties and just keeping them as rental properties, so you can't even get your hands on one because they want to buy a house, take it off the market, and have it as a rental to earn so much more money. Right. So even the houses to buy as like a one-family home like are much fewer. Right. But then I'm also hearing people say, recommending that don't be a first-time home buyer. Buy a rental property and rent it out, like especially like a duplex or a fourplex or something like that, and rent it out. 
And even I've heard people. This is this is my new vocabulary phrase that I've heard. Uh, rental arbitrage, where you get a rental property, even an apartment or a small home or something, as a rental, and then you turn that into an Airbnb mm-hmm. because that's completely legal. Right. And so now you have more than what you're paying for the to rent that property, and then you can leverage that into buying your home. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, and it's funny because. That's not necessarily a new trend. I mean, no, but my mom ta- and dad, their first house when I was born was, uh, you know, New Orleans is called a shotgun double, but mm-hmm. they it was they were basically landlords from the start. So um, people are learning now, and and again, this was part of the 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 uptick in purchases was they're seeing it as a, a, a source of passive income, like a side hustle would be. Sure, you know, and and it's really it's a shame because money is so cheap right now. You would think that that would be enough to help people, you know, hurdle that, that entry point so that they could, could actually do it. But, but again, it's because the, the, so many people were buying homes and refinancing homes and, and because of the price, the you know, prices of those materials for building those homes was getting to a point where it was just, it wasn't realistic. So, so to say something completely controversial, <laughs> I think that that is you. Yeah, right. I know. Um, I think that that is probably the only positive thing that we could say about social media at this point in time is that people are actually trading more information about how to help yourself in certain times. Like you said, like that's something that's been around for forever. But why are we really only now some of us hearing about it? Well, because we've got platforms like TikTok or, you know, whatever, where people are saying, hey, if you are in a certain position, let me help you out. Let me tell you this, blah, blah, blah. And so the spread of information that can be helpful is actually pretty plentiful. Now, yeah. Again, the problem, like you mentioned the Facebook thing earlier, the problem was a lot of times is accessing it because you could kind of like, you know, sheep herd it into a certain algorithm and that's, you know, we're not going to get into that. But what I'm saying is I think that with the quick access of information, online forms. You don't even have to go into an office for a lot of things. You can speak to somebody via Zoom. Like all of that is really accelerating a lot of the financial processes that we have available to us. I think the from what I've read and I'll come back to the uh the example of the people buying real estate. Mm-hmm. Um there have been some lessons learned from the financial crisis. Sure. So that's contributed to it. Um and then Jeff, you're definitely right. There's so much more information that's more readily available so people can educate themselves. Um, I think we're seeing that with more along the lines of the people that are investing in real estate. Whereas, but the younger generations that hasn't really been borne out in the, in the studies there, people are still very much financially illiterate. And, uh, you know, people like me, I still have my work cut out for me, but well, there's um, a big difference between making money and keeping it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or or actually like building wealth. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and I mean, sure, the the Robinhood thing and the crypto thing has been driven in part by the the entry of younger customers. Right. But they don't necessarily know what the hell they're doing. They're doing. So oh. um so and some of them are kind of learning the hard way. There was one case where um a kid committed suicide because he he thought he was on the hook for seven hundred fifty thousand oh. dollars to uh, to Robinhood because he was trading. They they actually have uh, an options trading platform as well, which options are notoriously risky. Sure. And not that they don't have a use, they do. Yeah. But if you're if you're new to the game, that's. Mm. I mean, I'm I was amazed to see how many people were actually trying their hand at that. But 
I think that, I mean, the times were making people desperate and, and there's a whole generation, you and I included, of people who still have student loans and they're trying to figure out a way, hey, my job isn't paying me fast enough so I can pay this stuff off, you know? Right. And uh, so people were desperate to find, um, you know, a quick fix and and then, you know, platforms like Robinhood and, and, and you know, Gemini, which is run by the, the Winklevoss twins. Sure. You know, from, <laughs> again, Facebook. Yeah, they, here we go. Yeah. You can't get away from it. <laughs> um, and Coinbase and others that we've mentioned. So uh, that that's that's also contributed a lot to the volatility in the market. And and one of the major themes of the pandemic has been uh, the, the huge uptick that we've seen in what they call retail trading. In other uh-huh. words, people, you know, when, when the Internet first introduced online trading and online brokerages, there was a huge surge because there were people who were uh, treating trading as like a profession, you sure. know, stay at home. Yeah. They, they call them day traders. Yep. And the pandemic reinvigorated that. Sure. Because it kind of, it kind of, you know. Uh, You're there, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> that was another trend that slowed down that was reignited yes. by this this whole. I mean, people were sitting at home and, and some of them were flush because of the stimulus they were getting. And we're mm-hmm. like, okay, we, how can we put this to work? Mm-hmm. You know, because I can't work. Right. So. Right. This whole thing has either greatly impacted your life, either up or down, or not changed it one bit. Yeah, I, I would <laughs> – I mean, in my overall analysis, there was – it's basically like three things. There was there was risk, there was ruin, or there was opportunity. Yeah. You know, and that, that's pretty much – you know, for someone who's not uh, naive to uh, crises. Sure. Uh, this this was certainly – that, and, and but I think COVID was kind of – has kind of been unique – in, in the way that, uh, oh yeah, you know, like the financial crisis wasn't there was opportunity there, but if it, it was for people a very small portion, small group of people who saw what was happening ahead of time and exploited it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I I don't with COVID it was different because everybody was benefiting. Yeah. For you know, as strange as that sounds, uh, yeah, there are people who were benefiting in a way, you know, because I mean I certainly um, did. As far as because it, it was a, a banner year for for mortgages, so you know title companies didn't have their offices open, so they were more than happy to send me into the fray <laughs> sure, and and go to sure. people's homes and do closings. But it was a natural uh, opportunity for them because the Federal Reserve had dropped interest rates basically down to zero, right? Which made money as cheap as it's ever been before. Yeah, and people were trying to figure out, okay, how can I save money right now? And the first logical place you look is the most expensive cost that you have in your budget, which is always going to be rent and overhead. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're standing living. So, mm-hmm. so that, that was unique in, in, in terms of like finding an opportunity amidst all this craziness. I think one of the best changes it from just my, again, my vantage point, um, being a counselor, I have, so many people who have, um, like, let's say, anxiety disorders or depression or PTSD or something like that, and a work-from-home environment that they can pace, they can control themselves, has always been a much better setup for those people. Like, it's they're so much more productive. And for years, it's been so difficult to wrangle that exception from different companies because they just believe that we need to be standing over our employees and looking at them constantly and monitoring. Um, and, and I, and I do understand and appreciate, you know, like, uh, internet safety and that sort of thing, but man, it's amazing how fast we got that figured out. Yeah. And, (laughs) and talk about opportunity. I really saw this as a dry run for those companies that were, were, 
hadn't really pulled the trigger on the idea of, okay, can we do this remotely? Right. 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 And I mean, my, my wife was actually shifted, her job shifted to a permanent, uh, remote position. So, mm -hmm. uh, which great was another, yeah, it was another great opportunity for us. Cause now we didn't need two cars Yep. and the used car market again was, yep. is whiz has been red hot. Sure. Um, because believe it or not, brand new cars have, uh, there, there's less production now for those because yeah. there's been a breakdown in getting the chips that they put into the computers. That Here we the go software. with that supply chain thing you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, there you about. go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably the most significant example of sure. of that that disruption has been in with the automotive companies, and mm -hmm. not just here, but globally. It's funny. I I even know I have one friend who's waiting on um, closing on a house that's being built, and it's delayed because the shipment of brick has been delayed several months. His house is literally sitting there with no like outside shell on yeah. it, just yeah. waiting for that to happen. Yeah. There are stories like that everywhere. Yeah. And prices of lumber have skyrocketed. What else? Um, and now supposedly we're looking at, at least from what I'm hearing, uh, potentially another round of, you know, uh, grocery store shelves, not having essentials, things breaking down, like order your Christmas gifts. Now everyone's saying like, Good luck if they get here even before then. I, I, I came across an article that said, uh, and I don't know how they got this information, but I'm gonna, let's just assume that it's true. Mm -hmm. Roughly 85%, 85%, I think it said, of all Christmas trees are plastic. Yeah. So, But because of the, the global disruption in, in, in making those trees and getting the orders filled, you're going to see uh, businesses that sell them start ordering them ahead of time, like much yeah. earlier. Yeah. We're going to start seeing them in stores much earlier because they got to get out in front of it now. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. so for those of you who are going to be mad when, if Christmas comes early this year, if you're already, there's a really good reason for it. <laughs> if you're already upset that they've got the aisle out and everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Okay. Oh gosh. So rough. So is there, is that because of the labor shortage? Is that because of regulations? Is that because of just people not being available to fill? Like, what what is causing this breakdown? It's it's all of the above. Oh, um, okay. A lot of it, people don't realize. We still, as much as we've been uh, eye to eye with China, mm. particularly in the last few years, um, we we still import a hell of a lot of stuff from them, and that's what keeps a lot of you know. That's one of the reasons why we really haven't seen much inflation over the past ten or twenty years, is because the price of dry goods you know that's a real that's a colonial term hasn't they haven't really gone up because the the price for things that we pay when we import stuff from china is so low it's so mm -hmm. cheap that it keeps every all the other prices down essentially gotcha so uh but yeah what it's partly okay um the place where we make it could be where we make the chemicals mm -hmm. that go into making the trees i mean everybody is is facing a, a labor problem right now. So that that will put stress on on the network that we rely on to get all these things. You know, if you're if you own a factory, you got to buy materials, but if the company that sells you the materials doesn't have any people working there because of the pandemic, you're not going to get them. That's and when you do, true. and when you do, you probably going to get them, you know, with a delay because mm -hmm. everybody else is getting them at the same time, mm -hmm. you know. And that and that's one of the things that that I was fascinated to learn was how poorly 
so many major corporations were ill-prepared for this kind of eventuality, right? right? Like you think they would have gamed this out at some point. Okay, what happens if the world shuts down? How are we going to still fill our orders? How are we going to get the materials we need? That kind of thing. And it seemed like everybody – and that was especially true uh, both in the automotive industry and in the oil and gas industry. They, the materials that they needed to, uh, to build and, and deliver their products uh, weren't there because – People just weren't able to show up to work. Right. So, Right. I'm also hearing, and this is kind of frightening, and I don't know if it's necessarily true, but I'm hearing that a lot of places now are saying that they're hiring, saying that they sh- are shorthanded, oh, please bear with us, but aren't actually hiring. They're posting jobs. People go to apply, and no one's getting hired. because. And I, and I think this is some smaller businesses, really honestly they're trying to subsist on a shoestring staff but they have to kind of act as if they're hiring or they want people so that the staff doesn't abandon ship like if the staff keeps thinking oh there's more people coming they're gonna you know what i mean hang on but then they really don't have the resources to hire other people or they've realized oh if i keep that low then i can rake more money in in this time period where maybe you know we've had a rough go of it in the early pandemic I, I think that's a fair point. Um, what I would say is uh, one of the good things I believe that's come out of the pandemic is people have suddenly realized, hey, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. Right. I'm not getting paid enough to show up to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So uh, and I know people have tried to blame it on, you know, the, the stimulus, the unemployment benefits, stuff like that. But the studies don't bear that out. It, the right. People are I think it's become more of a cultural shift and you you may have seen this yourself in your practice that people have their mind their their way of thinking about the, how they make a living has changed yes and and it's particularly rough on small businesses because it's harder for them to raise pay mm-hmm. not just for the people who work there but for the people who are going to be who want to apply for jobs there yes so you may there i think there are plenty of examples right now where you see those uh you know hiring signs in the window that have been there for a long time because those owners haven't figured out yet how they can uh, make the pay worth, mm-hmm. you know, the people coming in and filling out applications. I mean, a place like Target, you know, we're getting to the point of year where uh, the big re- big box retail stores are going to be bringing in extra help because of the holidays. Right. But a lot of them are trying to, uh, instead of bringing in all these part-time employees, give their full-time employees more hours. So it's caused a, a pretty mm-hmm. major shift there just in terms of how these corporations are thinking about what their what their labor practices are going to be. Right. You know? Another shift with that, um, I'm glad that you mentioned kind of the big box stores. Um, big box retail, Target, Walmart, things like that, as well as um, food, uh, like grocery stores, things like that. Uh, one of the big shifts that is actually kind of nice in my opinion is uh, the curbside delivery with groceries or delivering to your home. This also allows them to shift the work hours to like a night shift kind of situation or early morning to have a crew come in that can just pull orders. So you're seeing you, you, you can now put people in those positions. They're not necessarily forward facing to customers. So you can have people in those positions that you don't necessarily have to worry about having like good customer service or something and, and no knock, you know, but there are those people, they, they work sometimes overnight shifts or something because they literally don't want to deal with other people, but they still need income. They still want to work. Um, so I think that this allows a shift to happen 
I think in a lot of really, again, really positive ways, Mm -hmm. you know, and reduces traffic to the inbound stores, things like that. Um, It's not, it's not as bleak as it sounds. It's just in, it seems like in so many, many big, broad sweeping ways, society is just like moving at light speed. Yeah. You know, and it, it has for ages, eons, you know, like we always go through these things. I think the problem is that with technology and the stresses of a worldwide pandemic, it's just, like I said, like sped it up to warp speed. And I think there's so many people that are clamoring to kind of like get on with the changes, you know, get aboard. Um, and it, it requires you to shift your preset, your way of thinking. For instance, uh, you mentioned we, we were talking about the work from home thing a second ago. I think I've seen a lot of people who have a work from home job, have their same job that they've had pre-pandemic, but are now supplementing with gig work, um, you know, side jobs, Uber, whatever, um, online digital stuff, uh, because they, like you said, I don't know why these big companies weren't preparing for an eventual downfall. I think a lot of individual people are like, aha, I'm not going to catch, you know, be caught with my pants down again. I'm going to safeguard myself and my family and kind of diversify streams of income. Right. Which is super smart. Yeah. If we go back to when the the internet was first uh, born, Mm -hmm. that essentially created a whole brand new economy and people really didn't know how to deal with it, you know? Um, But it it allowed, uh, and that's why so many companies, you know, if they were, if, if their stock was traded publicly, you were you seeing run up in prices because people automatically assumed, okay, they have this channel that they can sell through now, mm-hmm. which basically means you can, your the number of customers you can sell to are un, unlimited now, yep. right? Yep. Um, because anyone can access the internet. Um, and then with, with COVID, we had basically, I mean, it was kind of there before, but basically uh, accelerated this, this new economy of, cur- like you said, curbside service or, or delivery, right. you know, where we're seeing co- uh, companies like Uber and Lyft were already delivering people. Now they're delivering yep. food and groceries and stuff like that. And then you have your DoorDashes and, and, uh, and other companies like that, that sure. saw, you know, they benefited from this, from this opportunity as well. Absolutely. So, um, an interesting point though, <clears throat> I was doing some research on, uh, what exactly happened to the markets last year? If I trace back to okay. say January, um, <clears throat> really before the the whispers of COVID started to reach our shores, there was a pretty major event. We had, uh, and that was when in January we launched a strike and assassinated Iran's top military commander. That sent the markets into a tailspin because they thought World War Three was imminent, right. right? So, so there was. There was some panic even before this happened, and uh, and it wasn't until say March, I think it was March twenty third, where the S and P five hundred had reached like the the pandemic low. But if we looked at the numbers from the second quarter of last year, so the middle at the end of July, big companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, they had combined about two hundred million dollars, two hundred billion dollars in revenue. And about thirty-four billion dollars in in profit. So, the the companies that we designated as as market leaders were actually doing extremely well. Right. So that that's kind of like a contraindicator there. But yeah. um, and at the same time, our gross domestic product had plunged thirty-three mm-hmm. percent. So, 
like I said, yeah. it's <laughs> <laughs> this is why people need a financial advisor, right? And this and this is why <laughs> your waiting room was probably full of people, oh, yeah. you know, literally pulling their hair out. Oh, so yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I I hardly lost any clients. In fact, I think I had more people want to. The only thing that really couldn't. Some of them just really couldn't make the bridge to doing Zoom or telehealth kind of sessions. Yeah, I was and I understand that. Yeah. yeah, no, I I get that. It was hard with couples because I couldn't get both of them kind of in the frame. Because you know, a lot of times if, if if a couple is in conflict, they're not going to be sitting close together on the couch. So I got like half a shoulder and half a shoulder, and I'm talking to the couch basically. <laughs> that was not fun. Yeah, if they didn't have to look each other, they, no. didn't, they didn't have to. No, yeah. no, don't want to. Yeah. Okay, so that gives us a pretty good background on the changes that we've already seen. So in terms of future projections, what can we talk about there? What what should we be maybe on the lookout for as we're heading into the kind of, what are we, second year, two, two and a half years of this? I don't know. I forget time. Time is weird now. About a year and a half. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> like, where am I? <laughs> but really, like, what should we be focusing on or um, starting to digest about how the world is changing financially? Right. Um I think, and we kind of touched on these particular industries like like real estate. Again, um, we anticipate that interest rates are eventually going to start creeping up. So, uh, so money is going to become more expensive mm-hmm. for you know, which is a, the best way I can put it. Um, I think we're going to slowly start to see, uh, you know, the the supply chain networks slacken up in terms of like you know, think of like 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 veins in a human body. Sure. You know, if I choke someone. Yeah. <laughs> cutting off the life force. Right, yeah. If, if I do like an arterial choke somewhere, that's cutting off blood to the head. Well, if that, once I release my grip a little bit, then, you know, that mm-hmm. person is less likely to be unconscious. So, Are I you think, ready to go back to your uh, martial arts training? Is oh, that yeah. why you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. are you jonesing? Is yeah. that why you're talking about chokeholds all of a sudden? Yeah, well, <laughs> but, that, that, but that's been a major story too. Um, yeah. And I mean, in terms of like, uh, as far as law enforcement, whether they should be doing that, but that's another conversation. Yes. But that, but but it's a pretty apt example because uh, all it takes is like just enough pressure and one one point. You know, one it's, spot. Yeah, it's yeah. it's only the whole network is only as good as its weakest link. Yeah. So, I, I think we're gonna see we're gonna see things start to return to normal, but it's gonna be much slower than I think people realize. Okay. And in the meantime, it, it's we're still gonna be sorting it out. Um. As far as like, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain about gas prices. Yeah. And usually my response to that is, well, it was inevitable because at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all basically in quarantine. So, and I loved it because there were no cars on the road. So yeah. I could, I had the, the highways to myself when I had, you know, when I went out to do closing. So, For sure. um, so gas prices. There was nowhere down. to drive to. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing and, was open. And <laughs> I mean, a quick economics lesson. Economics is basically about two things, supply and demand. And they usually uh, move uh, in correlation with one another. So if there's less demand for gas, prices are going to go down, which means there's less demand for oil because Mm -hmm. we use oil to make gas. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's why people were were unnerved when they saw it. When the prices came back, they thought it was because – the country wasn't being run properly. I was like, no, this was going to happen. See, yeah, that's always my question because I hear people all the time, well, of course gas prices are high. So-and-so's in office. And I mean, does that happen that quickly? Surely not. No, no. It was simply – well, actually, um, 
when we're talking about volatility, yeah, that can be a minute-to-minute thing. Okay. And I'm not exaggerating because because it, it's you know if we go back a few years to what happened here in Texas mm-hmm. with with the hurricane in yeah. 2016, right? People automatically assumed because it hit Houston mm. that we were going to have a supply problem. Yeah. With gasoline and oil, and we didn't. It wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. these companies were stockpiled for for months sure. ahead of time. So gotcha. so that was all hysteria created, you know, and and that was basically overnight. So you see the and again with you know crypto is another example. Oh, it it just takes the right words from the right person, right. and True. and suddenly there's a free for all. Yeah, and and the you know regardless of who's president, they have they have the power to move markets because people hang on every word they say. Yeah. So so yeah, that's True. That's, that's going to be yeah. It's it's a minute to minute proposition. Okay. Um, something else that actually happened that was historic was. Uh, when gas prices, when oil prices hit rock bottom, they were actually in negative territory. That had never happened before. Mm. And, and people are like, well, how can you have a negative price on an oil drum? Right. Well, technically, the oil drum was probably costing about 25 bucks, which is also historically low. Mm. But what, what actually moves prices in the oil market is the people who are trading on basically what their predictions for those prices are going to be. And because there was so much pessimism in that particular market, it actually created a negative price because there were so many sellers out there. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yep. So, so yeah, it sounds crazy, but that's that's, that's where what, we were. That's and, what happens. And if you were shrewd enough, you knew that this isn't going to last forever. Eventually, people are going to start driving again. Um, and it wasn't just cars. Obviously, it was other types of transportation. You know, planes. Yep. Everything trains, that runs on it, trucks, yeah, yeah, they all run on fuel, and um, but, and that brings me to another point, which is it, it kind of showed, um, in a way that we are less dependent on the Middle East for oil. We've gotten to a point where we're almost energy independent here, mm-hmm. which is important because in the seventies, with the oil embargoes, you were seeing lines down the street at gas stations because prices were controlled by essentially by OPEC. They were and 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 the Arab states. So mm-hmm. and that if there if you want to pick one common thread that runs throughout our economy, it's always going to be energy. Because it's literally the things that, that makes things move. Right. And we if we can't move things, we can't function as an economy. But but now that we're able to create a lot of that energy ourselves, there's less it makes things less volatile and more slightly more predictable. So we don't uh, we don't feel the pinch as hard as we might have you know in the past. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's a, that's yeah. a good development. Yeah. Okay. All but right. But we still we still have to we still have to get oil out of the ground or out you know out of the ocean floor or whatever it is. We still got to produce you know people still run their homes and stoves on natural gas. So yeah, those things aren't going away. We're no. Not, we're not going to switch to solar and wind overnight. It's no. not going to happen. It's not. However. It may be part of why you b- drive a Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's my... <laughs> As I say to people, own... there's only so many dead dinosaurs in the ground. Right. At some right. point, we're going to run out of them. Right, right. <laughs> At least I'm walking the walk. You know? That's true. That's true. All right. Well, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, uh, there's been some updates to the student loan um, forgiveness situation ah, yes. like lately, like in the last few days, right? Mm-hmm. And this, is, this especially affects people who have been working... Um, in the somewhat public sector, like uh, p- for police, teachers, military, things like that. So 
this is this is definitely a time for you to check back in. It's very complicated. It's not something we should sit here and go over. Like there's, depending on who's holding your loans or have you applied for this or have you this or that, like you really need to go to the government website, update your information, your contact information, so that you can kind of find out the current changes and what may be available to you like right now because that seems to be like kind of a rapidly changing area. Yeah. Um, basically – it, it kind of started with, uh, if we go back to the previous, to the Obama administration, they decided to uh, um, combine all the, the U.S. Department of Education runs student loans, basically mm-hmm. now, federal loans. Right. So, uh, and they farm out the service to different companies. Um, but there was always a program in play, and, and the idea was if, if we had it all under one roof, we could we could manage it more effectively. Sure. Yeah. Um, the jury's still out on that. <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, even since its inception, there was a program in place that was basically an enticement for people to go into public service. And when I say that, I mean, like you said, become a teacher, uh, you know, work for you know a police department or a fire department, to, you know, as a first responder. Right. Those kinds of jobs they would reward people by saying, "Okay, you can borrow the money, and uh, if you get one of these positions out of school." Mm. All you have to do is pay on your loans for 10 years, right. and then we'll discharge them completely. Exactly. The problem is barely any of those uh, – pe- very few people who have applied for that program have actually seen the benefit from it. Yep. And uh, it's it's been a real – I've heard every, it was very difficult to even engage with, like hard to verify that you did that, hard to get that actually for you if you had done it. Like, Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it, it was kind of a cluster, and, mm-hmm. and, and everyone – Every administration that presided over that program has gotten egg on their face because of it. Oh. So, so just recently, um, they have announced changes, and I think finally they're going to get the program to work the way it was supposed to originally. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. So, um, and 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 there are uh, there are some drumbeats for okay. Uh, let's if people for people who declare bankruptcy, let's also give them the the chance to discharge their student loans at that point because that was something that was an option a while back right and then uh then the banking lobby got involved and we they altered at some point the the bankruptcy rules and i was unfortunately a a a beneficiary of that (laughs) um so it's (laughs) if people start filing for bankruptcy and they can discharge their student loans i'm gonna be pretty jealous but (laughs) um (laughs) hey what about me? <laughs> yeah, I was the one that had heart surgery. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got medical bills. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. um, but the that would be a good thing if, if that can, if we can make that work. But, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, and, and people there, that's been an, another cultural awakening of sorts that people are, are starting to say, hey, is college even worth this? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm taking out a mortgage, basically. I, just to get a degree to not necessarily everybody's going to. Again, I feel like you're absolutely correct because, again, given how quickly technology moves, everything is like, like that, it seems to be kind of like creating uh, a, a younger kind of like generation of people that don't see the benefit of a traditional college experience. You know, like I can get the training I want online through a program, something like that, or through through a smaller like certification program, right. something like that. Like why would I need to accrue all of this debt and I can immediately or sooner start working and kind of eschew the liberal arts education. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can't think of a good reason. <laughs> I, always, I tell people all the time, even though I have a master's degree from, from business school, 
um, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have gone to community college and learned a trade yeah. and, and basically, you know, put that trade, put my services on, on the auction block, you know, yep. and let people compete for them. Yep. Cause this is, I don't care what anybody says. This is still very much a, a highly specialized mm-hmm. economy that we work in. Yeah. And, uh, there, there's, I mean, there are people who are, uh, polymaths you know that they're geniuses in different industries but those people are usually billionaires you know yeah they have that (laughs) we're smart people but (laughs) we 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 never got to that point so um so yeah i can i can certainly understand why the younger generations are starting to wonder what's the point of it but Mm. it's a lot it's a lot (laughs) a year and a half and just an hour to talk about all this my goodness yeah um, now, there was something I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Because we, we one of the most important topics we've discussed mm. together has been uh, this idea of financial abuse. Yes. And I was wondering, have you, uh, do you have, have you got any information, any updates in that regard as far as, um, because I, I've actually, uh, from what I was able to gather, there has been legislation that passed through the House of Representatives back mm-hmm. in, I think it was in March, and that it actually included a legal definition for economic abuse, which is all, which would be uh, a huge step right. forward. Right. Um, uh, yes, that is that is. Unfortunately, as always, legislation is a bit slow moving <laughs> in these things to kind of like figure out what's going on and kind of get in the. But that is definitely encouraging. Yes, and I think that it is beginning to start the conversation with a lot, again, younger people that are more knowledgeable maybe about like, oh, let me examine what I'm about to get into before I just blindly get into it. Um, we could, in broad strokes, I feel like there's a there's a massive re-examining of, you know, what we've been taught, the way that things traditionally operated, just across the board. You pick any topic uh, in any kind of social setting. Um, relationships and finance is definitely one of them. Um, I feel as though there's uh, the idea of financial infidelity um, and honestly, infidelity in general is getting folded into what a lot of people are talking about. Like the, the um, popular psychology buzzword lately is narcissism. So there's tons of people who are talking about qualities of narcissists um, and what you can expect from that whole situation. And a lot of times financial infidelity is folded into that. Right. Right. So it's it's starting. But it but it needs to be something that's talked about kind of from the start before we even have any bad interactions with someone um, or things like that. So, yes, I, I definitely hear a lot more awareness of that. Um, and it's what I think last time when we talked about it, we might have come off a little bit too, uh, let's say, heavily gendered on the side of women needing to, you know, understand what's going on. Don't just hand over the reins kind of thing. Um, still true. However, um, I think that there are also men starting to realize, oh, wait, <laughs> if I have, if, if my household has been when, where I work outside the home and my wife kind of like handles finances, the purchasing, buying and everything for the house, I still need to check in on that. I can't just blindly hand things off because that can end up in a bad territory. There's also um, a growing awareness of financial uh, abuse in terms of also other family members. So we're, we're now finally starting to kind of recognize that a large number of us don't really come from idle uh, families of origin, parents not really doing the things that they should for us a lot of times. And as soon as a child gets a social security number, 
there are some parents that are running that like crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so again, <laughs> oof, um, there's a lot uh, when it comes to just financial abuse in general. Um, but yes, I, I definitely agree with you that it's something that people are getting a lot more of an awareness of and starting to really understand how that looks in the uh, quarantine pandemic phase. Uh, there's been a lot more kind of like free stuff to work with in terms of abuse. So you have a lot more FaceTime with your partner. You have less uh, ability to like, you know, go out and move things around or go talk to other people. You're getting a lot more kind of into the tractor beam of somebody who would be abusive as, as well as financially. And if you are, let's say your family is getting a child tax credit or you're getting a stimulus check and your partner is snapping that up as soon as it hits the mailbox, uh, you don't get a say into where those things go. Uh, your, let's say your student loans aren't getting paid on, uh, your work, uh, things aren't getting prioritized. All of these things, like we need to start growing an awareness of Oh, that's not healthy. That's not good for us, even as a couple, you know, which sometimes it's clouded under the guise of that, that I'm making the best decisions for us. Mm -hmm. But there should always be a dialogue. As as we talked about last time, your partner should always be open for a dialogue. If they're not, that's the tip off that it's not a good thing. What I've learned, and and you can speak to this, is basically 99 times out of 100, if there's domestic abuse, there's financial abuse. Like the two, it's a package deal. Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah. Well, and that's mainly because the uh, in a domestic abuse situation, the abuser doesn't see the other person, the victim, as a person. So no, you have no financial autonomy. You have no autonomy whatsoever. I mean, it wasn't – I hate to go this route, but it wasn't until like 1993 that marital rape was actually defined. Like before that, we thought, hey, you bought her wholesale. Go ahead. <laughs> so, so Well, I was going to say with, eh? with the financial abuse, it's almost like, well, why not? If you have yeah. if you have physical control over this person and right. they're terrified of you, then then that would be the next right. logical step for you. Financial abuse, we should also say, can also be isolation or cutting you off from a means of having money or making money. So, um, bad example, but let do you remember Andrea Yates <laughs> with the five kids and she went screwball, right? Right, right. Okay, so that was somebody who was supremely isolated. That was kind of forced into no, you're going to stay home, you're going to have kids, and you're going to be unsupported. So again, if we have people that are being forced into certain choices that cut you off from speaking to family, having a job, which where you would also talk to other people, um, and if you happen to say, oh my, you know, I just hand my money over and they just take it, and, and somebody at your job goes, well, that's not right. See, an abusive person wants to cut you off from any resources. So it's not just, I take your money. Sometimes it's, no, you don't get to make money also. So which is tricky. It makes it tricky for people to really identify when that is a factor in what you're dealing with. But it, you definitely realize it's a factor when you try to leave. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyways. I imagine that's probably the, the primary reason why they don't leave. Exactly. Is economics. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, it's so sad. Yes. That's good. All right. I know. I'm this worn out. This is a big one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, my goodness. Uh, well, as always... Thank you for doing this. It's thank Sit you down to do this. Thank you for, for for steering our ship here. I always <laughs> enjoy it. And uh, as always, uh, check us out on uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube. You know, like and follow. Like and follow. Subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. Exactly. And uh, and as always. And for anybody who would like to get in touch with J Dub, that's right. And uh, yeah, get get a financial advisor of your own. Uh, you can reach out to him at four six nine. 
469-406-5191. That's 469-406-5191. Or you can visit the website at littlewoodsadvisors.com. Sounds like you just left me a voicemail. <laughs> well, hey, at least it'd be a voicemail you could understand. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that'll work. You didn't have my mouth full of marbles like usually. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, as always, this has been Real Finance with J-Dub and brought to you by Little Woods Capital Advisors, LLC. Little Woods, humble beginnings, big results. There you go. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.